So I'm recording this on Thursday, June 20. Oh, I don't have my watch on. 7th, I guess. And uh, I'm really excited because at midnight, uh, my, my copy of Mario Maker 2 becomes available. I'm, I'm going to start in on that tonight and then work on it a little bit tomorrow. And by the time you hear this on Monday, uh, I may have some episodes, some episodes, some uh, levels already published and uploaded. So that'll be fun. I will probably publish the episode codes. They're not episodes. God, Tycho, get your shit together. Um, I'll probably publish the level codes on my Twitter just for the hell of it. And, uh, yeah. So, all right. Here we go. Chronophagos, the devourer of time, the eater of hours. What man remembereth even the hour of his death, if the Chronophagos hath devoured it? Nicephoros Italiatus. The Testament of Nightmares The Eater of Hours by Daryl Schweitzer 1. We rode in the dark and the cold through that forest where no birds sang, where no beasts stirred but our own horses, where black water dripped from the naked branches though no one could remember it having rained. Would the sun ever rise? It felt as if we were already in our graves. I tell you, we all crossed ourselves then, and we were by no means godly men, any of us, rogues and brigands, bastards and younger sons, landless knights, a dozen of us, more. Who could remember? Even I struggled to remember, as if rising from a deep, dark dream, as if swimming toward doubtful sunlight from out of a dank, muddy pond. Remember? My own name, Eric de... Eric of Brittany, of some parentage or other, from... Some castle I could not quite bring to mind. A castle I did not own, where I was not particularly welcome at the table. The boy beside me, called merely John, not old enough to have a beard yet, but in the company he kept, his soul was no doubt blackened already. My squire? Maybe even my own bastard son? The big man beside him, with the wild red hair and the scarred face, Ulrich von Schwarzenberg, Ulrich of the Black Mountain, also called Ulrich the Axe, famed for his bloody deeds among Christians and pagans alike. We rode in silence, even the hooves of our horses silent on the muddy path. Would the sun ever rise? Would this night ever end? Beside him, Father Gregorius, the renegade priest, who had reputedly sold his soul to Satan. Now he lowered his head and counted his beads and muttered something I couldn't make out. In the cold and the dark we rode and cursed the treachery of the Greek emperor Isaac Angelus, even as, admittedly, we had allowed ourselves to become distracted on the way to the crusade, never laid eyes on a Turk, turned to pillage and raping among the Hungarians and Greeks in order to reach the east, all for the glory of God, of course, until defeated, crushed by our fellow Christians, we fled northward into the mountains, into lands unknown. And the darkness closed over us like a tide, and it seemed the night would never end. Suddenly the lead man of our company cried, Hold! And we came to a halt, gathered round him, some fingering or even drawing their weapons. The blackness of the forest was absolute. The path we rode upon, it seemed to my fancy, was like a pale white tongue extended from a dark mouth ready to draw us in. There is something, the lead man said, a French knight, Johan de... In my dream, I could not recall his entire name. I leaned forward. John, the boy, looked to me expectantly. Father Gregorius alone did not look up, though his mount came to a halt with the rest. Yes, I see it. 
and I saw, like a returning memory, like a face slowly unmasked, the dim shape of a tower with darkened windows, a wall, a gate. I shook my head. Horses neighed nervously. Father Gregorius went on with his praying, the tone of his voice rising to a frantic whine. One of our number, who was wounded and soaked with blood, fell from his saddle with a splashy thud. No one moved to help him, not even the priest. We filed one by one like doomed men through the gate and into a courtyard. We were twelve, the number of the apostles? Eleven, the apostles minus Judas? Twelve again when Mattias was chosen? Would the daylight never come? So we dismounted, leaving our horses as they were, there were no grooms come to greet us, and we stood for a time, short or long beyond counting, in the cold and the dark, while gradually the windows of the castle around us filled with light, like glowing eyes lazily opening from a deep and troubling dream. And I thought I remembered all this happening before, in a deep and troubling dream. The boy, John, held on to my arm with his pale hand as if he had slipped in the mud and needed to steady himself, but actually, I think, for comfort. It was Ulrich Bloodyaxe who grunted and turned his head and said, We'd better go in. The door before us was already open, the way lit with candles held in cupped hands carven of palest marble and set in little alcoves along the walls. Single file again, we ascended worn marble stairs and emerged into a broad room hung with rich draperies, the walls decorated with ancient shields and arms, a table set with a rich feast before us. And we twelve, if it was twelve, sat down waiting first in silence for some host to appear and greet us. I noted, pleasantly surprised, that the knife on the table before me was my own. I'd thought I had lost it. I took it and began to eat of the meat set there, which was cold but not spoiled, and the others ate too, in silence, until after a time, after a few cups of wine, we were more at ease, and small talk arose among the company. The boy John beside me nudged me and gazed up at the lofty rafters. Do you think this place is full of ghosts? No, lad, said Ulrich from across the table. Not ghosts. But the conversation turned to the subject of ghosts, and several of our company told of ghosts. One, how a man had been slain on the way to the wars but had not known it, his ghost going on, thinking himself alive, performing deeds of great valor, even returning home in triumph where he bought lands, begot sons, and lived in contentment for many years before discovering one day, by chance, that he was already dead. "'Then how can any man know,' someone said, "'if even his eyes and his memories deceive him?' Even his dreams, said Johann, the French knight. I have dreamed things which have proven false, though I remember them as if I had lived them, as if somehow I dreamed the dreams of another man. Only Christ is eternal, someone said, though it was not the priest. All else is darkness and shadows. It seemed for an instant that I was not in that room, seated at that table at all, but far away, in a hot, dry land, fighting the pagans in the name of Christ, only to return to Europe and be unable to find my way home, to be diverted north into mountains, in an unknown land, in the darkness and the cold, where I lay still in a dream from which I could not awaken. And a voice spoke in my mind, saying, Chronophagos, the Eater of Time. Then, somewhere in the depths of the castle, a deep bell tolled and the feast was over. The lamps expired of their own accord, the flame sinking down into the marble-cupped hands. We arose in the almost total darkness, and made our way as memory served until each of us came to his own chamber, where a bed was prepared, save that John the squire, if so he was, shared a room with me, 
whether because there was no room for him otherwise, or because he so chose, I do not know. We two lay in the darkness for a time, in silence. I think I dozed off and dreamt, dreaming within a dream or waking from one, of a young man who loved a maiden with a face like an angel. He composed in his mind the most exquisite lyrics in praise of her beauty, but, alas, he could not write, nor had the skill to either sing or play any musical instrument, and the maiden was, in any case, above his station. So, while he might worship her from afar, she never knew of him at all. In both despair and hope he turned from her, went off to the wars, hoping to win fame and wealth whereby he might return and claim her. Soon his own delicate and pale hands were soiled with blood. And I wept for the innocence which had died, all the while unsure if this was my own youth I was recalling, or some other. Then a noise started me out of sleep. John beside me clutched my arm. Very far away, in the depths of the castle, it seemed that stone ground upon stone, and something was walking upon stone, its tread heavy and harsh and shuffling. "'What is it?' John whispered. "'I think our souls are in great peril,' I said. We too arose from the bed and drew out our swords and stood on either side of the door throughout the night. Would the daylight never come? We heard screams and shouts. We heard the clash of arms. We heard Ulrich of the bloody axe cursing, and we heard his great axe strike like a hammer. But we did not go at once to the aid of our comrades. Not out of cowardice, I do not think, but because we somehow knew, as if recalling a dream, that it was not so, that we had not done so, that we had lived all this before, and our adventure did not end thus. The boy John was weeping when at last the door opened and there was only darkness beyond it, and we both sensed that something stood there waiting for us to venture out. Somehow all I could see for the moment were his pale hands floating in the darkness. 2. I saw my own hands floating like pale paper cutouts on a black stream. I saw them through eyes other than my own, as if awakening into another man's dream. My master and I stood on either side of the open doorway, swords drawn. Nothing happened. Nothing stirred. The whole castle was now utterly silent, but for a subtle wind issuing through the corridors and halls, like a deep and distant sighing. Like the soft breath of God turning in his sleep. And I was greatly afraid then, for if God were asleep... No one could save us now from whatever danger we faced. At my master's word, we two rushed through the doorway, probing the darkness with our swords. Metal scraped on the stone walls. Then there was a faint light, almost a trick of the eye more than something actually seen. A hunched shape, moving away from us. A voice muttering the same phrase over and over again. You! Stop! My master said, barely above a whisper, but loud enough in that echoing gloom. But the other did not stop, and when we cornered him as the corridor turned sharply, there was an altercation, and I felt my blade sliding between ribs. Warm blood splashed over my hand. My master's shoulder shoved against me as he too thrust with his sword, and then we held a dying man in our arms as we made our way awkwardly down a flight of stairs in total darkness into the feasting hall where we had dined earlier. A few embers smoldered in the fireplace, giving faint light. We laid him down on the hearth. He muttered the same phrase over and over again in Greek. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. It was Father Gregorius. I looked up at my master with hopeless despair in my heart. We have murdered a man of God! He was no more a man of God than you are. But, but, I don't understand. I think I am beginning to, 
my master said. I thought I was beginning to also. I thought I knew, or remembered, or dreamed that the castle of the Chronophagos, the eater of hours, devourer of time, was like an endless dark labyrinth from which no one who had entered there could ever escape. For once our days and hours, our lives had been taken by the Chronophagos. The Chronophagos may rehearse them over and over in memory, like lines from an old song or a half-forgotten prayer, while we must drift helplessly, like paper cutouts on a black stream. 3. My only thought was to get away from my crimes, from my various adventures, and if it suited me to be a man of God for a time, so be it. I had many names, more than I could remember, one of them Gregorius, but... No, Gregorius died on the hearth amid the ashes, his guts ripped out by those two oafs, the Breton knight and the pretty boy I thought to carry away, because Eric de whatever the hell had no idea what a pretty boy was good for, being himself, despite his own long litany of black deeds, as innocent as a pale newborn babe. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. So I made my way out of the feasting hall, groping down another flight of stairs, past the marble alcove shaped like hands where candles have burned out, leaving the cold air stale with the scent of their burning. Would the daylight never come? Would this night never end? Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Outside in the courtyard, all the horses were gone except mine. So, the bastards had run off. How chivalrous of them, to leave a horse for their old comrade who knew their sins and could perhaps absolve them. Was Gregorius ever really a priest? Who could remember? Who gave a damn? Surely we were all damned. I rode in the darkness through that black and dripping forest, the only sounds being the wet thudding of my horse's hooves, and then... After a time, there seemed to be no sound at all, only effortless, helpless motion as I rode, and came to a turning place, and turned, and turned again, and circled in the darkness, and came once, face to face with all my companions on the muddy path in the middle of the night that would not end, that would never end. I knew that much now, for I was beginning to understand, remembering how Gregorius had fled and turned away from his companions who had betrayed him, and fled again, turning every way, for hours without end, in darkness without end, until I found myself, again, inside the castle from which I had departed, as if I had never departed, and once more those two half-wits chased me down the corridor, and slid their swords into me and carried me down onto the warm, filthy hearth to die. 4. The priest was dead. Nevertheless, he sat at a table with us as we feasted on cold meats. Nevertheless, he sat at table with us as we feasted on cold meats. I remember him being there with us, feasting as no ghost could. Perhaps it was before he died. Perhaps even time was out of sequence, like pages in a book, misbound. I, having no name at all, sat beside Ulrich Bloodyaxe and considered my own course, whom I might take as an ally and allow to accompany me in my escape. Even as I remembered riding in that forest, away from the castle, around and around in the darkness, until all paths inevitably led back to the castle, and we, like doomed men, dismounted and filed one by one up the stairs, past the marble hands with their smoldering candles, into the feasting hall where Father Gregorius sat with us and dismissed all talk of ghosts, discoursing instead about the Chronophagos, which he said was a remote cousin to the Medusae, but far older, a thing made of living stone, out of the stone flesh of which this castle and the surrounding forest had grown, 
like hair from the head of a man who lies alive but sleeping in the ground for countless centuries, a thing older than Satan, about whom Satan had much to say, some monstrosity that fell from the unimaginably remote depths of the sky long before the birth of Adam, that which lay dreaming and waited until the stars moved in their courses to announce the world's last night, when it would be so gorged with dreams and with the stolen lives and memories of men that it would awaken to break the earth apart in its hands as a man might crush an eggshell. That's what Gregorius said, and he was dead. Later, Ulrich and I rose from troubled sleep and made our way out into the corridor, into the darkness where we battled stone giants, ancient warriors turned to stone yet still alive, the days of their lives having been devoured by the Chronophagos. Now they were mere dreams, given form by the sleeping monster, and we battled them, breaking our swords and our axes upon them, until stone hands seized us by our throats, crushing the life out of us both. Father Gregorius, awakening suddenly from some half-remembered nightmare, sat up on the ash-strewn hearth. He put his hand to his throat, remembering it crushed, and to his gut where the sword went in. He who is dead remembered us. Christ have mercy. But we were not godly men, any of the company of twelve. Five. And I awoke to tear the world to pieces. The boy, John, he of the almost luminous pale hands and face, was beside me. We heard shouting in the corridor outside, the sound of metal striking on stone, curses, cries of pain. If we were brave men, I said, we would go outside and assist our comrades and die alongside them rather than hide from combat. But the world has enough heroes already, said John. And I remembered all that he was going to say as if he were rehearsing a litany we already knew. If we were godly men, I said, we would pray to Christ for forgiveness for our many sins, for his power alone may lead us out of the darkness into which we, like all men, have fallen. Father Gregorius said the same thing at table. Yes, he did. Did you believe it? We knelt, holding our swords before us like crosses, as men who dedicate themselves to the crusade often do, and we prayed that all our sins might be washed away in the blood of our foes, that we might emerge triumphant for the glory of God. But as we prayed... John wept, and it was then that some answer came to me, enlightenment from within my own memory. I saw him as a child still, and innocent. I remembered him as a child, barefoot, muddy, playing at his mother's feet in some dank hovel like a tomb. I was that child too. He and I were the same, which meant that his sins and mine were shared, and I saw that his sins were not very great. Not yet. It was a strange feeling, something I, in all my tens of thousands of years of sleeping in the earth, had never before experienced. We rose, swords in hand, and went out the door into the darkness. Someone shuffled away from us, muttering a Greek phrase over and over. John would have pursued. I caught him by the shoulder and said, no, wait. Wait? Put your sword away, I said, and bewildered he sheathed it. John, I want you to leave this place. You alone shall escape and tell our tale. No more fighting for you. I cannot desert you, Lord, he said. Don't call me that. I release you from whatever oaths may bind you. Go. How is it possible? You, you know it is not. If I create a diversion, the Chronophagos will not notice when you get away, if but a single morsel falls from his table. I would stay with you, my master. It is what a true knight would do. I took him by both his shoulders, turned him around, and shoved him away from me, into the corridor down which Father Gregorius had fled. If I'm your master, then I command you. Obey for once. It's what a true knight would do. 
Go. Save yourself, boy, because I wish it. Go. I think that long ago, before things went so terribly wrong, when we two dedicated ourselves to God and God's holy crusade and were filled with high-sounding ideals like flies buzzing inside our heads, I had thought to be as a father to him. That we too had once loved one another, as brothers, as comrades, even as we loved and dedicated ourselves to God, was the incomprehensible mystery at the heart of all mysteries. We had fallen so very far into the darkness. Now we alone had a chance to get out, my parting gift to him and to God. When he had gone, or when I had at least managed to lose him in the darkness, I ventured forth, sword in hand, groping my way into the very heart of the castle, drawn by my own mounting instinct of dread, turning again and again in the direction I feared most. I remember doing battle with warriors of stone. I remember many deaths, including my own, my several deaths, my thousand deaths, the deaths of more than a dozen rogue knights and hangers-on, but of actual heroes, the oldest of whom fought alongside Achilles. Even then the Chronophagos lay, ancient and dreaming in the earth, having fallen from the stars. I remember how it ended, how I emerged, like one awakening from a dream, into a vast chamber in the heart of the castle, deep down, I think, in the core of the earth, which is like a sphere within a sphere within a sphere. I passed through realms of stone and ice and fire, and suffered many torments and many deaths, yet, sword in hand, I came to a great hall, which was also a cavern made of black ice, yet lurid with heartless fires. There, seated at table, were numerous men, Ulrich Bloodyaxe and Jehan, the French knight, and Father Gregorius, and so many more, even those who had marched to battle alongside Achilles. I searched among their company and was relieved at last to discover that the boy John, who had been my squire and companion in my adventures, was not there. I sat down among strangers whose dreams and memories I already shared. Then she, who presided over the feast, bade us eat and drink, and we did so. At the head of the table, upon a dais, was set a throne, whereon sat a queen, clad all in white, her exquisite face pale like a luminous paper cut out adrift on a black stream, her eyes gray, her hair it seemed stirring slightly of its own accord like the serpent hair of the ancient Medusa. I rose from my place, sword in hand. I leapt boldly onto the dais. No one made to stop me, even as I seized her by the living, wriggling hair. "'Are you the Chronophagos?' I demanded. She smiled at me, revealing nothing. In her eyes there was no expression at all. I struck off her head, and her body collapsed like a thing of dust and crumpled paper, and I held my sword in one hand, nothing in the other. I felt the blade pass through my own neck then. Some ruffian had struck off my head while asking ridiculous questions. Come, and I will show you, someone said. I beheld another dais at the other end of the room, and another throne on which sat an ancient king, his face more lined and weary with age than it is possible to describe or imagine, his tattered, dusty robes like cerements, his crown of gold so pale it was almost the color of bone. Only his eyes were alive with a kind of fire. I made my way through the company of the feasting heroes, through them, as a child might pass a stick through the swirling mass of darker mud he has stirred up from the bottom of a still pool. He heard their thousand voices like a whispering tide. I remembered them all. I descended into another void, the space within space, the core within core, into the earth where a great stone thing lay dreaming, 
its form shaped only by human fancies into something describable at all, something with serpentine hair, or the face of a king, or a queen, or the knight called Ulrich Bloodyaxe, but not like that at all. Not really. Its vast mouth gaped wide. My guide and I floated within like inhaled motes of dust. We walked through long, dark, winding corridors, through a labyrinth I knew would never end. We came to a feasting hall, and I, who had been called Eric of Brittany and Ulric and Father Gregorius, and who had marched to war with Achilles and who reigned now in darkness as an ancient and weary king, I sat down on my throne and watched the ghosts of warriors feasting, and listened as a company of twelve knights arrived at my gate, having lost their way. I closed my eyes and contemplated the incomprehensible stone face which had fallen from the stars and lay in the earth. It opened its eyes, and they were mine, and I looked out through all my memories and accumulated stolen dreams and understood that I was the Chronophagos. I felt one small satisfaction. The John was not there. 6. I am John, who was a squire and gave up the sword for the harp and learned it but a little, and came to sing only one song that no one wants to hear. I have been driven from place to place, cast stones more often than bread, left to sleep in ditches rather than by warm hearths. I, who am ragged and filthy and starving and no longer young, remember my adventure like a dream from which I have never awakened. I am afraid when I lie in darkness that the Chronophagos has already devoured the whole world, so that all our lives, all our histories and wars, are just the dreams of the Chronophagos stirring, as a child with a stick stirs mud on the bottom of a pool. Who can say that it is not so?